0: the choice Very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart. Oh, now down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in
1: my heart,
0: down in my heart today. So very happy I have got the love Of Jesus in my heart Oh, and I'm so happy So very happy I have got the love Of Jesus in my heart One more time And I'm so happy So very happy I have got the love Of Jesus in my heart And I'm so happy so very happy I've got the love of Jesus in my
1: heart Amen Let's sing that song, Thy Loving Kindness an F, I believe No, I'm sorry, Uh, D Thy
0: loving kindness is better than life Hello. His gates, So I will enter His gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter His courts with praise. And I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. Come on now. Oh, now He has made me glad. Oh, He has made me glad. Rejoice, for He has made me glad. He has made me glad. Oh, He has made me glad. I will rejoice, for He has made me glad. And I will enter His gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter His courts with praise. Say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. Oh, and He has made me glad. Yes, He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad. Yes, He has made me glad. I. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. Then I will say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Oh, and he has made me glad. Yes, he has made me glad. I will rejoice. me glad yes he has made me glad i will rejoice for he has made me glad oh now he has made me glad yes he has made me glad i will rejoice for he has made me glad he has made me glad oh he has made me glad i will rejoice for he has made me glad
1: and change the order of our service this evening. If you would uh, keep it in the same key, brother. Uh, let's sing the song, I am the God that healeth thee, before we take our prayer requests this evening.
0: So I am the God that healeth thee. I am the Lord, you're healed.
1: Requests here. Uh, we just want to remember Brother Troy Hughes um, on November 16th, which is tomorrow, I think. Um, he's uh, having uh, a lithotripsy procedure uh, to uh, get some work done. So we just uh, want to remember him this evening that the Lord will be with him and the doctor uh, who uh, operates on him. So we want to remember Brother Sam Pugh, who is uh, working tonight and uh, also has a job interview tomorrow, so we just want to remember him and that the Lord would just uh, have his way in that. Uh, We just want to remember Brother Ben McCaffrey, who is away in Chicago traveling, so we just want to remember him, and uh, Sister Catherine Pritchard, who is not with us, Uh, and we just want to remember uh, Brother Chris and Brother Jeremy Clayville, who are also traveling. They're currently in Arizona, so we just want to remember them. And also uh, Brother Wellington, who is uh, back in Zimbabwe. So just uh, remember him. Uh, we also want to uh, just remember Brother Aaron uh, Ningamaza. His mother-in-law is leaving tomorrow uh, for uh, to go back to Zimbabwe. So we just want to remember her and uh, Brother Aaron this evening. Uh, just remember that family. That is all the prayer requests I have. But I know we each have unspoken prayer requests. So just by the lifting of your hand. The Lord knows that need, and uh, if I could have uh, Brother John come up and pray over these prayer requests at this time.
2: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you know these needs. Lord, There's so many, even in our own personal life, Lord, we have things that we just look to you for, God. We just ask you to Touch each and every one, Lord. Lord, we ask you to bless our service this evening, Lord, each that could make it and those that can't. Lord, we pray you'll just bless them where they're at, Lord, listening. God, we just thank you for all that you do for us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.
1: Amen. So be it unto me,
0: i see glory on each face and surely the presence of the Lord is in this place oh surely the presence I
1: Brother Barry comes, not to disturb anything, there is a youth meeting this Saturday at 6 p.m. Uh, please see uh, Brother Peter and Sister Rachel Coffey if you have any questions. So that's the only announcement I have. Let's sing um, that song, uh, Hear My Prayer, uh, before Brother Barry comes. So
0: hear my prayer. i mm-hmm.
3: Lord, for this opportunity to come, the sign, the busyness of our week, and all the things that are happening, Lord, and just to be able to pause and worship You in spirit and in truth, Lord, and to study Your Word, we're so thankful, Lord Jesus, that we can come into Your presence, Lord, without any appointment, without any uh, preparation, Lord. We can just, we can just come and enjoy Your presence, Lord. It's such a wonderful thing. We don't need to have a certain kind of building. We don't need to have a certain kind of security. And we don't need to worry about any of that, Lord. We can just come and just sit in your presence. It's such a wonderful thing. And now, Lord, I pray that you would just open the book to every heart. And, Lord, just reveal yourself to us. We thank you, Lord, for the peace that passes understanding that only you can give. And we appreciate, Lord, the fact that you're still a healer today, the same as you ever were. You care about all that we go through. So we cast all of our cares at your feet today and just believe, Lord Jesus, that your power has not abated because of time. But Lord, you're still the same yesterday, today, and you will be forever. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mercies. They're new every day. And we pray now that you administer, Lord, to those who are here in this building and those who are listening. We commit them into your hands, especially those who are sick and need your touch. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen and amen. And while we're in his wonderful presence, let's open our Bibles tonight, if you don't mind, and we'll have you read the scripture together and then we can take our seats. But it's good for us to honor and respect the word and read the scripture while we're standing. And we're going to First Chronicles chapter 16, First Chronicles chapter 16, great to have the Dexters here tonight. God bless you. We appreciate you being here, Michael and Bethany, and good to have you here. First Chronicles chapter 16. This is David rejoicing and worshiping because they brought the ark and put it in its temporary place before the temple is actually built. So they had tried to move it before it went into the house of Obed-Edom. and That was not God's will because he was doing A service to God without it being his will and so they moved it to a temporary place and when they placed the ark of God there the response was and this is what's what's key here the response that David uh, manifested and all the people around him is that they began to worship because the ark had found its place the word had come to the right place and so they brought the ark of God, verse 1, and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it, and they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. And when David had made an end of, of, offering of the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord, and he dealt to every man of Israel, both men and women, to everyone a loaf of bread, a good piece of flesh, and a flagon of wine. And then from verse 4 to 6, David talks about the choir. And the choir was formed, and they began to sing under the ministry of Asaph, who was the leader uh, of worship back in David's day. He was David's song leader, so he must have been quite a gifted guy. But let's go down to verse 27. <clears throat> Glory and honor are in his presence and strength, and gladness are in his place. So when they all gathered together and the ark was in its place, David wrote, read this psalm that he had written for this occasion. So we're just reading a portion of it here tonight. Give unto the Lord, verse 28, ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name, and bring an offering, and come before him, and worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And fear before him all the earth, the world also shall be stable, that it be not moved. And let the heavens be glad, and let the earth rejoice, and let men say among the nations, the Lord reigneth. And may the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated tonight. That's a great, uh, great way to start. Now, let me just divert for a second and we'll come back to that. So hold your thought. Good to have all of you here tonight. Guys, good to have you here right on the front row. God bless you. Good to have you. And uh, you must be related to the Stevens family here somehow, right? You can be forgiven for that. Good to have you tonight, each and every one. I appreciate you coming tonight. I know it's Wednesday night. Everybody's got a you know, full slate on Wednesday, and you've got a full slate tomorrow, and I appreciate you coming tonight, and I trust that the Lord will give you uh, a cup full uh, tonight, just a refreshing from the presence of the Lord, and we're depending on Him for that. Now, in this brightly colored map of uh, Africa, I just wanted to point out, uh, because this is going to be my last service until... December, because next Wednesday night, we're not going to have service, because it's the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, and we normally don't have service, right? Uh Aha, so, because a lot of people are traveling and moving around and making uh, sweet potato scuffle, and so uh, we won't have service uh, next Wednesday night, okay? And Brother Trevor Eamon is going to be here this Sunday, And then the following Wednesday, we won't have service, so I'll be here after that, okay? Uh, Then we'll be ramping up to leave, and I wanted to ask you just to remember, because we have two trips that are going almost simultaneously, and we have two brothers, uh, Steve Folkerson and Joe Coffey are going to Malawi representing vision books, and they're going to be doing some very specific work there. And uh, if you don't mind remembering them in prayer, they've got a great great mission, and uh, we want to remember them in prayer. They'll be going right uh, in the last week of November, so it'll be uh, very soon coming up, and they'll be gone for about 10 days. And then after that, on December 4th, uh, we'll be taking eight or nine uh, folks with us. We'll be going to Tanzania. Uh, There's a lot that uh, has to be done between now and that time period, and we also are working on uh, permissions by the government over there to be able to come and set up the little clinic that they're going to be doing. So if you don't mind just placing those two trips on your prayer list, uh, we would appreciate appreciate it very much. But here's something that you all can do as part of the mission work. We need about eight or ten suitcases here. Uh, and if you have uh, an extra one and you want to donate, this one will not come back. Sister Cindy, do you have a question? No, great, bless your heart. They can't be moldy, okay, and they have to be worthy of making one trip. So this is a one-way trip, and we're going to fill those up with, uh, we have medications and we have supplies that we're going to be taking over, and we probably need about eight or ten, and uh, we're going to pack those with the help of our young people. Yeah, hello, and uh, we're going to hand carry this, uh, all this uh, gear over with us, uh, so if you have one that's, that's able to make one trip, it's got to go from here to there, and uh, then we leave it uh, with the people over there, so if you have an extra suitcase and you want to donate it to the cause, you can bring it uh, Sunday, you can whatever else, and leave it over in the fellowship hall, we're going to designate a spot over there. And um, uh, have it uh, make, make a, uh, a, a packing over there before uh, that we go, all right? And we'll have all the supplies that need to go in those. And, and I want to say thank you to our young people in advance for helping to do all that packing for us. Now, <clears throat> um, you have to forgive me for this, but I wanted to drop in this note, in this note here because this keeps coming up. And I told you a little while back, I, I, I brought up the fact, uh, several of the quotes of Brother Bram talked about unions and how that unions are going to become an issue in the very last, last day. And uh, there was a, a very interesting article and one that I had uh, never seen or heard about before. And uh, I, thought it was, I thought it was quite interesting. So I'm just going to give you a paragraph out of, uh, out of that uh, article that was found in mainstream media. And of course, if it's you know in mainstream media on the internet, it's got to be true. And uh, unions, of course, have, have kind of come and gone in importance over the years. And in the, uh, especially in the turn of the century in 1900, 1900 and so forth, there was a lot of uh, inequity when it came to workers' rights and the, uh, the, the safety of workers and so forth. And so there was a uh, great imbalance between the owners of companies like coal mines and then the workers who worked in them. And, uh, you know, there was a need for some balance in that picture and safety standards and equal equitable pay and so forth. And so uh, a lot of the, um, the early talk about unions had to do with auto workers and mine workers and steel workers and so forth. And uh, some, of the, some of the stuff was certainly justified. But Brother Branham said, watch it. He said, watch, watch unionization. And he said, it'll become like a religious thing. Later on. Well, as you know, the, uh, the UA, uh, UAW uh, recently uh, won their appeal to uh, get a better salary and so forth from uh, the, the big automakers uh, who were making last year, I think they netted a quarter of a trillion dollars in profit. And uh, so the workers went on rolling strikes all through, especially to Northeast, and uh, they had quite an impact. And a lot of it had to do with this guy who was a leader of the UAW, Sean Fain. And he happens to be a real fundamental Christian guy who who believes in uh, this movement called the social gospel. Now, I'll say more about this a little bit later on because there's some really interesting things that are taking place, especially with the Speaker of the House. And uh, some things that are taking place that uh, you might want to be aware of, just so that we can keep it in our pocket. But this this article that was on CNN, and you can find it on the bottom there. Uh, he he came aboard really strongly in campaigning against the uh, or, or for the workers with the uh, owners of the big uh, auto auto manufacturers. That uh, it was a in a sense essentially a. Christian right or a moral right for workers to be cared for. And one of the commentators here used that phrase. It was a striking, strikingly Christian rhetoric and the way he spoke. As a matter of fact, when he went to meetings, union meetings, he carried his grandma's Bible and he would get up and very often quote from that. And in the second paragraph, it sounds like there's very much like an emphasis on Jesus is for the worker and Jesus stands in solidarity with laborers. And that's his consistent message, and it runs through a lot of the tradition of the social gospel that began in the 19th century. So in the development, the early development of unions, and the social gospel movement, which began at the end of the 1800s, there there was a real merging of those two ideas. So now let's look again at what Brother Branham said. Just one quote. In questions and answers, Brother Bram said, now pertaining to labor unions, he said, you men have labor unions, and if you want to work, you've got to belong to it. But watch it, because it's going to come from labor to religion one of these days. So he's, he's, he's saying this in several different places, and he says it very emphatically. Now watch. Remember, he said, it's a forerunner. Of everything becoming unionized. And this is, of course, under the uh, you know World Council and under the uh, reign of the Antichrist and so forth. And he's projecting out uh, farther than where we are today. But he said, You can't work and they won't let you on a job unless you belong to this union. Now, you young people, that's us, right? As we're the old people now that were the young people when he said this, <clears throat> remember what Brother Bram's saying. And may my words be. Grave with an iron pen and a mountain of steel. Now, when somebody says that, they really want you to pay attention to what's next. Thus saith the Lord, that same thing will happen in religion. You'll belong to a denomination of some sort, or you cannot buy or sell. So be real careful, brother. Just, Just let it go to just labor alone. Watch it. It's a warning. I believe there'll come a day when we won't be able to worship publicly, in a building like this, or be considered an independent church unless we have some connection to the system somehow. And I believe we'll lose our independence and our ability to worship that way. I think that's that's coming. And the laws of imminent domain would give uh, the the system a right to take our building and so forth, uh, providing they had an excuse to take it. And all, all those laws are already passed. That's already done. You know that. But Brother Bram's drawing a very close parallel here between Making your livelihood and being a part of the union, or you don't work, and also worshiping because you've got to be a part of that system, or you can't buy or sell. And so he's he's aligning those two things there, and he's given us this very emphatic warning. And this is 1964, uh, but you, you had to wonder now when we see these things surfacing again. And I'm just I'm just all I'm doing is just raising a little yellow flag. It's not red yet. But it's yellow and just saying, hey, there are things happening out there in this realm that kind of make your antennas go up a little bit and say, wow, you've got to wonder where this is going to go. Because the people who are involved in this are not communists and they're not, uh, they're not new agers. They're not tree huggers out of California. Birkenstock wearing Volvo drivers, you know, uh, suburban living tree huggers. They're not them. They are, they are people who are carrying grandma's Bible around. And so, therefore, they sound very fundamental, and it's just an interesting phenomena, just something to watch. That's all I'm saying. It's just something to watch. Everybody, all right? All right. Let's go back to our subject here, of worship, and uh, I want to get—I want to get more specific here uh, as we go along. We probably won't get to it tonight, but I want to get more specific here about uh, worship and and how how easily it evolves into things. And how much we have to uh, use our discernment when it comes to this subject. Because you think, well, you know, worship is just worship. Well, we have to be very careful that we're always worshiping in a way that pleases God. Because all kinds of worship are not pleasing to God. Right? And we'll show you some examples here tonight. Now, <clears throat> Brother Branham says, now, we want to speak as, as every meeting about Jesus Christ. He's the center of our worship. And here's where you're supposed to say amen. He's the center of our worship, and he's the center of our attraction. In other words, he's the reason we come. He's the center of our life, and all that we have, and are, and will be, is based upon Christ. Right? Everything that we have. He was, let's say it this way. You can't give him uh, money, and he would become richer. He already owns everything. We can't give him information and he'd become smarter. Right? Because he's omniscient. He knows everything. We can't give him our strength and make him stronger because he's a God of all strength. Isn't that right? The only thing that we can give him that he does not possess, in a sense, is worship from our heart. That's the only thing, really, that you can give him that he doesn't have. Because you know what? He owns everything else. You say, I can give him my body. Hey, listen, your body is here because of him. Right? Every, you can't give somebody uh, a gift that when, when, when that thing that you give originates from the giver. You, 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 can't, get, you can't do that. So, therefore, the, the one thing... That we as, we as believers and we as worshipers can give uh, to our Lord Jesus Christ is the gift of worship. And it's something he delights in. Because when God dwelt alone with his attributes, he was not even God because there was nobody to worship him. And if God, if God could do it himself, he would have been God even before he was God. Wrap your mind around that one, Brother Jeremiah. So therefore... Brother Branham says now, he was the one who came and gave his life for us and came down from God out of glory and was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. So Brother Branham is, again, and let me say this very clearly, Brother Branham was not for Branhamism. He didn't want the people to come to worship him. He was not interested in people lifting up Brother Branham or Brother Branham's gift or anything else. All of that was given to bless the body to point to Christ and awaken the body to point to Christ. And to let the body know that Jesus Christ was not somewhere lost in history way back there and ceased to function on the day of Pentecost, he's alive today the same as he ever was. And you know what? He's real and he's present and he's alive and you can be converted and you can be healed and anything that God could ever do, he can still do tonight. And his, his gift and his ministry was one that was a channel God used to prove that in our time, right? Right? And he's still the same today. So he's not using Brother Branham today, he's using the Bride of Jesus Christ. And so the church then, uh, he said the church then better be examining themselves. Hey, everybody, this is us. We better be examining ourselves by the Word of God, our purity, our loyalty, our devotion. We ought to be examining ourselves. Now, what Brother Branham doesn't say is that you ought to be examining everybody else in the church. Your ministry is not one of correction for everybody in the church, including the pastor. Your job is to examine yourself. When we take communion, we examine ourselves, right? We look inward ourselves. We don't look into other people's pockets. We don't look into other people's checkbooks. We look into our own. And that's what a Christian will do. But he said we become tattlers and talebearers and cigarette smokers and backbiters, painted up Jezebels. And everything in the calendar that the rest of the world does. Wow. Now he's 1957 here and he's speaking to a a, a general audience of the church world. But you know what? I I say this, saints of God, I think the warnings are still fair. I think it's worth reiterating and repeating that, that if we're not careful, the same spirits that he was noticing back then, those same spirits haven't died and gone anywhere because spirits don't die and go anywhere. They're still here. They just look for a different vessel to operate. And I will guarantee you that whatever, whenever Satan could get in amongst the body, he would certainly try to get in amongst the body. And and do things like this because he can take away your eternal life, obviously, but he can certainly make more life life more miserable and he can cause you to become so discouraged. By things that are happening within the body, when there is, uh, you know, whirliness and tattling and talebearers and backbiters and so forth, and a lack of love, like I said on Sunday, when there's a lack of love and compassion, and when there's a lack of a, a willingness to walk a mile in a brother's shoe, when there's only a willingness to try to pick out little uh, bits and pieces of people's sermons and broadcast them and say, "See what he's saying." And taking things out of context, Brother Branham slammed that in his day when people cut pieces out of uh, tapes and so forth and made him say certain things, and he slammed that back in his day. And I'll tell you what—I think it's worth slamming today, because in fairness, you know, we we uh, we as ministers we have a, a, a job to do, and we also have a sovereign right to be able to minister to our own assemblies. Right. And because we're on the internet, it fe- sometimes it feels like everybody out there has. Uh, you know, somehow uh, this newfound calling that they can, uh, you know, uh, take bits and pieces and criticize ministers with. And I don't want to get on this, but I'm just saying this here is, isn't it, isn't it uh, amazing that here's Brother Branham telling us something that is not something reserved for way back there. And we scratch our heads and say, oh, wow, that couldn't happen. That does happen. It does happen today. And it happens because Satan will find an inroad in whatever way he can to try to disrupt the body. He can't destroy the body, and he can't destroy you. But he can make life miserable for you, he can make, and he can make you feel like, well, what's the use? Right? And a lot of it is just simply because we lack love among the body of Christ. And we don't fight hard enough to stay together. The Christian church is associating with those things and everything in the calendar that the rest of the world does. Wow. Hey, anybody want to fill in a few of those? How about Halloween? Some people take the position that Brother Bram didn't say much against Halloween, so it's okay. How's that going? Surely it's, surely somebody's got enough discernment to look at that and say, it's not really the most wholesome thing to be a part of, as if your kids need candy. There's enough candy that goes out of here, out of this end of the church and that end of the church, at the end of one of our services here, to make people who go collect it door-to-door envious of what our kids get every single service. And all the kids said, they're afraid they're going to lose their candy privileges here. I see my grandkids, Henry and Miles, they're out there saying, come on, guys. Poppy's in there. It's all right. Follow me. Follow me. Sometimes I'll have 30 kids in there. Oh, hello, Brother Barry. Great sermon. Great sermon. They'll say, they come into my office. Great sermon. I know why you're here. But he said the Christian church is associating in those things, and today, well, he says, you can hardly tell one from the other. It's time we took inventory. Now, I'd like to show you some examples of that. Not tonight, but I'd like to show you some examples of that. Because here's Brother Branham giving us that warning that if we're not careful and we don't keep that standard raised, and the standard articulated, articulated so that everyone knows where that line is. If we don't do that, that line will become blurred. I mean, obviously, you would have to agree that in our society, the lines are blurred. I mean, the lines are blurred now for a lot of young people. They, don't, they kind of don't know which way, where they are. They don't know whether they're male or female. And there's, there's kind of like no right or wrong as to whether they can be this or that. And uh, You know, uh, I mean, the Catholic Church even uh, backing away from some of their standards and rebuking the priests who stand for the old-fashioned standards that are more biblical. I mean, it's, it's got to be confusing, right, to, to people out there and say, well, what, what do they stand for? And I mean, hey, listen, there's people that would have a right to look at the Christian evangelical church today and say, what do they stand for? Got a gay minister and he's married to some guy and all the rest of it here. And, and it would be confusing to them. And that's what Brother Bram's telling us here unless we be careful and the church ought to be examining itself to make sure that not only me, but you and me both, we look at ourselves according to the word of God and say, hey, listen, this is what it says we ought to toe up. It's a very dangerous thing when we come to the place where the word of God and the gospel can be preached in truth. And if you want to know it's truth, you can go back to the Bible and go back to the statements that Brother Bram said. That's why I take the time to put them up here and uh, to read them out of your Bible here. It's important for you to go back and look and say, well, that is what God said. And if it is what God said, you know what? You're faced with a responsibility then. Amen. You have a choice then. And if there are certain things that are talked about, let me tell you, they're talked about for a reason. And therefore we have to look at it. And we can't exempt ourselves from everything because we don't like what we hear. There's a name for people like that. That's unbelievers, because they're not believing. Believers believe, even when it isn't convenient, even when it requires change. Believers believe. It's time we took inventory. I think that's that, hey, I think that's a good statement. I, that's a great quote. I'd like to, I'd like to read that again. I'd like to go back and and deal with that a little bit more. Now. I showed you this last year in Thanksgiving, and, and this was uh, David's uh, Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down and let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Now, Brother Branham made this statement about Thanksgiving, and I think it's a really good one. He said, tomorrow is Thanksgiving uh, Day, and uh, this is 1959. And he said, a day that's set aside where our pilgrim fathers gave thanks to God for, for blessing them. So this is my Thanksgiving message for you. And he said, it's one real American day. Tonight, he said, all of our other holidays come from over the seas, like St. Patrick's Day and so forth. And he said, tonight I want to say that there's so many things that I'm thankful for. And if your church has service, attend. Be sure. If you don't have church service, get the children together and take God's word and read it and tell your children about it, about what real Thanksgiving is. Thanksgiving is not the prelude before Black Friday. Thanksgiving is a day when the nation stops and gives thanks for God's blessing upon them. Tell them that this nation was built upon such as that. Our forefathers who fought to bring this freedom to us and left the other countries so we could have freedom of worship, freedom of speech, freedom of press, and so forth. And we're thankful yet for it. I'm thankful for it. You don't realize how good you've got it. I mean, we and I say you. We 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 as a nation we are privileged to be able to uh, to protest. Privileged to be able to show a dissenting opinion if we have one, without going to jail. Because there are a lot of places where if you speak up against the current uh, prevailing administration, you're in jail. And freedom of press and so forth. And we're thankful yet for it. And we don't know how long it will last that way. But I say this, long may our lands be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might, great God our King. So as our brother Bram said to do, if we don't have service, he said, gather your kids around and make sure that they understand the real true meaning of what uh, Thanksgiving is about, and, and uh, reciting the things that we are thankful for. And it's not just a, um, it, it's not just a, a tradition. So Brother Branham, again now, he says, I think that it's our duty to make the inside right by the grace of God to be so grateful to God that will just not be a beautiful building, but may everyone who comes in to see the beautiful characteristic of Jesus Christ in every pew... In every minister? No, in every person that comes in. I think it's our duty to make the inside right by the grace of God to be so grateful to God that will not just be a beautiful building. Because I got news for you that's not the thing that God's really overly impressed with. I mean, it's nice, it's nice. But that's not what God really would say. Now, now, those guys got it over there. Brother Jerry's church, that's, they still got a new carpet smell over there. That's, now, that's the place. But that everyone who comes in see the beautiful characteristic of Jesus Christ in every person that comes in. And, and this is Brother Branham dedicating the, ex, the expansion of his own church. God in simplicity. They they're in this in the building now for the first time since they renovated it from the smaller Branham Tabernacle to now the bigger size. That Brother Branham in in the voting he didn't even vote for it because he felt like the Lord would come before they ever got the construction finished. So don't even bother. But they knew that that you know just in the. The problems they had mechanically of trying to get everybody in the building and trying to have the facilities, they voted to ex- expand the building. So this is a service where he's dedicating that. And he said, may it be a consecrated place to our Lord, a consecrated place no matter how beautiful the structure is, the beauty of the church is the character of the people and I trust it will always be a house a house of God of beauty. Now, I, the reason I put that out there because I think, and, and just let me say this, I believe that... Real worship comes out of a real temple. And somebody who is, in, in, we take great pains at consecrating the building to God, but it's more important for us to consecrate these temples to God, right? And, and we, we, wanna, we reserve this place. We don't do anything else in this place but worship God. And preach the gospel. And, and we, we, we have this time alone with God here. It's a sanctuary just set aside for that. And we don't want anybody to come in and push the chairs back and have a hockey game in here. Or have bingo. Uh, or have a dinner in here. We, we, don't, we don't use it. We don't utilize the building. Although we could. We don't use, utilize it for anything else. Because we have an expectation when we come in here that we're going to worship God in spirit and in truth. Right? We don't want anything to disturb that. We don't. We, matter of fact, we want to encounter the the spirit we leave with. That's what we want to encounter when we come back. And, and, and Brother Branham, he said all kinds of things about that. And all I'm saying to you is that is that when you dedicate a place and you dedicate a temple and, and you, you preserve it for a place where nothing else happens, there's a purity that's in that place. And out of that place, it's easy to come together and, and to be able to worship God in a place like this because it's set aside to do that, right? But I will tell you something, as nice as that is, it's nicer when God can come and visit you and he can visit your temple And he can find a place that is fit for his his dwelling and he can pass by and you can acknowledge him and you can thank him for his presence and you can uh, appreciate his goodness to you. And he said, may that be a consecrated place for our Lord. May that be a place, no matter how beautiful the structure is, aside from the building. In other words, we had a whole bunch of beautiful structures that came into the building tonight and worshiped God in a sanctified, uh, you know, a dedicated way. My goodness, God would love that no matter we met here or in a cave somewhere. Because the outside building is inconsequential. May we be consecrated as a, as a temple of God. May we be consecrated as a people of worship. Because it may come to, the, it may come to a, a time where we don't, we don't get to worship in a, in a building like this. But you know what? God would not be nearly as upset about the loss of the building as we would. I would think, wow, John did such a great job and his team, and getting all that stucco off the roof there, and it looks so nice, so perfect. And we would say, wow, we spent a lot of Sundays there, spent a lot of time there, a lot of Wednesdays there, and had a lot of services there, and we would naturally miss it. I don't think God would blink an eye, because you know what? The worship would still continue, because it's not buildings that he's fascinated by or impressed by. It's the worship that comes from the heart, and that's what Brother Ram's alluding to. Now, When we talk about this idea of not worship, you know, uh, God not accepting every kind of worship, here's a a good example portrayed in the same chapter in Matthew chapter 2. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east, and they said, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. That's one kind of worship. Down later in the same chapter in verse 8, and he, Herod, sent to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. Now, let me give you a little background here because sometimes we think that, uh, you know, the slaughter of the in- innocents and all those that died was, you know, a uh, huge number. The population in the days of the birth of Jesus of Bethlehem was 1,500 people and the area round about. <clears throat> so, roughly, Roughly, and obviously they don't have exact census numbers, and this is just for your information, it would roughly have around 150 of the population who were under two. Half of them would probably be female. So we're dealing with a fairly small number, but it's, and I don't, and I say this not to minimize the heinousness of this tragedy. It was a terrible thing, Okay? It was a terrible thing, even if there was only one child in the city. It would be a terrible thing. Now, Jesus was not there because he was spirited away by his parents and taken off down to Egypt and so forth. But Herod now is telling them, hey, there are young children, there are young boys who are in that town, and when you have found them, bring me word again that I may come and worship him. Do you believe that God would have been impressed with that kind of worship in the last verse there? Absolutely not. Because I believe in the same way that God looks at our hearts as, as an instrument of what's potentially coming, God also looks at our hearts when it comes to worship. <clears throat> I would say this. Being raised in a Roman Catholic church, I can tell you that people made way too much. They worshipped Mary way too much. You may, the amens are pretty sparse or even non-existent on that one. But I can tell you that Mary, Mary was worshipped a great deal in the Catholic Church because she was looked at as an intermediary. She was looked at one who would go to Jesus and intercede on our behalf and, and so forth. And they really made too much of Mary because she was not an object of worship at all. Right? But in the Catholic Church, you're, you're taught to worship uh, Mary, that's for sure. So what I'm saying to you is that tonight, is that when we come to this subject of worship, there is a true worship, and there's also a counterfeit that exists every time that there's a move of God. When there's a move of God, the elect catch it, and they respond to it. Like David, they bring the ark. This is a new thing. They bring the ark into a certain place, and they set it underneath the tent, and this is something that's pleasing to God. Well, they break out. They form a choir, and they break out. Everybody gets you know, a meal. Everybody's affected by this. And they're all rejoicing and singing, and they're playing harps, and they're all excited about this. And correspondingly, they worship as a result of that. There's always a counter move, uh, or if you like, a... um, a counterfeit worship that goes on every time there's a move of God among the elect. And this may not be popular, but I will say this, that I think we can fall into the trap of worshiping worship. Meaning that some people will worship only when there's a certain kind of music. And worship when there's only a certain kind of atmosphere and a certain kind of thing going on here. That's when I worship. You know what? <clears throat> You've missed the point. Because we don't worship a certain kind of music and what it does to us. And we don't worship a certain uh, group of uh, you know, musicians who play it or a, a camp meeting or something else. Hey, if that's, the on- if that's the only time you worship and then you come back to church and sit like a lump on a log you've missed the point. You better be careful that you don't fall into being a part of a cult of worship worshipers. Oh, yeah. I'm not joking. Brother Branham said, if there's a desire to worship God, even the hottentots and Indians in years gone by worshiped objects he said because the very creation of worship was in their heart or the desire to worship and they worshipped something as their creator and they showed that there was a creator somewhere to worship there was a god somewhere and they they knew that i mean they, they they probably didn't have a bible or a bible in their language and and they didn't have people to teach them and and mentor them and so forth but they knew there was there was a higher power I remember being in the, when I was in the Catholic Church and unconverted, uh, there was a whole lot of things I didn't know about God. I knew way more about Mary than I did about Jesus Christ. But I will tell you this, I knew there was a higher power. And I knew the creation of the human, human body in the womb of a mother suggested that there had to be some higher intelligence at work rather than just the ability of this woman to create a child when you when you lay i remember laying down in the nation of afghanistan believe it or not and laying on the ground and looking up into the heavens and it was a pitch black place there was no light pollution from anywhere and the the sky was unbelievably fascinating to watch and stars and galaxies and i saw outfits you know shapes of all the things that were there i remember laying on the ground in the dust in, in afghanistan and thinking there has to be somebody who created this And I remember, I remember even as a sinner with long hair and all the things that I was up to back in those days, I remember, I remember saying to myself, because there's nobody there, I remember saying to myself, you know, there has to be a God, there has to be a God somewhere. And never knew that God, never knew he could be reached, and never knew that, uh, you know, he was accessible by prayer or repentance or anything like that. But something in me was crying out for a God somewhere. Well, there had to be a God that existed in order for me to cry out to that God, right? And that's what he says. There's a deep call at the deep. If there's a hunger in your heart for more of God, then there's bound to be more of God somewhere for you to find. So Jesus says, take heed, therefore, how ye hear. this This is great, this verse. For whosoever hath... To him shall be given, and whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. That's kind of an interesting sentence there. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. Because how you hear is going to determine whether you get more from God or not. How you hear. Not necessarily what you hear, but how you hear. Now, we know that faith comes by hearing, and your hearing's got to be correct in order for your faith's got to be correct, going to be correct. But let me read you in the Amplified Version what this says, and it'll become a little bit clearer, I think. So be careful, this is the same verse in the Amplified Bible, so be careful how you listen for whoever has a teachable heart, somebody say amen. If you've got a teachable heart, to him more understanding will be given. Oh, God, give us a a teachable heart. Give me a teachable spirit. Don't let me be like a know-it-all that says, oh, wow, here's Brother Barry going off on this thing again here. Hey, don't give me that kind of a spirit. And I know, I know, none of you are that way and none of you think that way. But you may know somebody who thinks that way. And you may want to give them a link for this service. Whoever has a teachable heart to him more understanding will be given. And whoever does not have a longing for truth, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away from him. Does that make sense now? Be careful how you listen. Take heed, therefore, how you hear. And I say, Lord, give us a teachable heart. Because you can come to the place where you think you have uh, you you have enough knowledge and you have a you've been raised in the message and you you've been associated with all this all your life and so therefore you don't need to worry about it at all. Hey, listen, I, I I pray that God would continue to humble my heart and say, Lord, we got service on Sunday, we got service on Wednesday, we got service coming up here, and I, Lord, let me never get to the place where it becomes common and I don't have like it says right here a longing for truth. If I had everything I needed, guess what, buddy? Your body would be changed. But you don't have it all. So, Lord, give me a longing for truth and a teachable spirit. And let me be humbled in the times I need to be humbled. Let me repent for what I need to repent for. Let me make right what I need to make right. Let me love the unlovable. And go the extra mile for the people who ask me to go a mile. Be careful how you listen. Wow. That's a verse for every one of us, isn't it? It doesn't say be careful how you preach. Be careful how you how you deal with others. That's not it. He said be careful how you listen. Be careful what's going on in your heart. Because I'll tell you what, when you're sitting there saying, Lord, help me and just show me, Lord, what I need to know. Give me the wisdom that I need. Give me the... Uh, give me the, uh, the grace that I need to have, Lord, going through this trial or whatever else. Or give me the wisdom to know how to lead my family. How many of you fathers and mothers would love to have more wisdom to know how to lead your family and your kids? You're going through, you're going through life raising teenagers. It's like trying to nail a handful of jello to a tree. <laughs> and then it gets harder. And you're thinking, wow, well, how do I juggle this? And how do I balance all of this? And then your kids will ask you the hard questions, right? They'll ask you the tough questions. And you're thinking, you know, how do, how do we deal with this? And then, you know, you have job situations and you have job changes and things, you know. And, and Lord, like Brother Keith over here, and, and you know, you're, you're, all of a sudden you're doing this one day and then the next day you're not. And it all seems permanent until it's not. Everything seems stable until it's not. And then you, you go to the doctor and everything is okay until it's not. And then you're, let me tell you, you'll pray differently. You'll pray differently when you come to times like that. I've told you before, I've traveled in the country in Norway uh, many, many times and, and ministered over there. Had lots of good friends over there. And a lot of countries have mountains, but Norway is different because it is just a mountain. It is all mountains. And everywhere you go, it's beautiful. You can see the mountains, and it's just absolutely beautiful. And I, I've, I've traveled up and down, up and down, up and down lots of times. And I can tell you this. That on the top of the mountain, it's beautiful because you can see so far and you can, uh, you know, get the beautiful vistas and you always get your phone out when you get to the top of the mountain. And there's always snow somewhere that you can see. It's breathtaking and it's fascinating and it's clean up there and it's, the air is so pure and everything else. And you always pull out your phone when you're on top of the mountain. But I'll guarantee you, on top of the mountains in Norway, there's not many trees. There's not many tall trees. There's not many, uh, some of you some folks that have been there Uh, I can tell you, there's not much, not a whole lot of farmers that live on top of the mountain there. And trying to bring their John Deere uh, tractors over the rock on the top of the mountain. There's not a whole lot of farmers up there. But when you go down in the valley, you know what? That's where all the soil is washed down over the years. And that's where all the farmers are with their tractors. Because that's where all the good growing ground is. So we don't always experience life in our Christian experience at the top of the mountain here. And it's not always a moment where you take your camera out and you want to take a selfie. Here I am, Lord, enjoying the journey, living the dream. There's days you don't feel like that. But all the growth goes on in the valleys. And we probably spend more time in the valleys than we do on the mountaintops. You say, Brother Barry, listen, I read my Bible, but I don't always remember what I read. I don't remember what you preached on on Sunday. Listen, I don't remember what I had for lunch on Sunday. But I was still nourished. It worked. It worked. You say, Brother Barry, whenever I get down to pray, I go to sleep. Let me tell you something about me as a father. I never, ever scolded my boys when they fell asleep in my arms. And I've never chastised my grandchildren because they fell asleep in my arms. And if I'm praying and I fall asleep, you know what? It's good to know you're in his arms. Amen. It's better for you to stay awake. But if you fall asleep, if you fall asleep, your heavenly father is not going to chastise you. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are a lot of things that, you know, we would, we would like to do, but I will tell you something what God's after is what's going on in your heart. And when the right thing, when, when, when this is in place, let me tell you something. If you have this much, God is willing to give you more. And the opposite of this, if you've got this much, God's going to take away what you thought you had. And there's nothing worse, according to the message to Laodicea, than to be rich and increase with goods and say you have need of nothing. And yet, in reality, you're miserable, wretched, and blind, and you don't know it. That's a terrible place to be. God's not asking you to create everything. God's not asking you to do everything. He's asking you to be careful how you listen. Does that make sense? I I love that verse. And when you hear the voice of, of God, not voice of God, But when you hear the voice of God, everybody understand? (laughs) Sorry. And the word, you're kind of crazy to the world. But if you hear the voice, you know what you're doing. Nothing going to stop Moses after the burning bush. He was on his road. He was very persistent. When he stood before Pharaoh, threw down the stick. And the musicians, they could do the same thing. Moses didn't run out like a coward he knew God had sent him. You know why? Because he's heard the voice of God. He knew God had sent him no matter how many carnal impersonators that the devil could bring up, he stated he's post to duty because he'd heard the voice of God. Therefore it didn't bother him. So saints of God, like everybody else, we depend on God's mercies. This is Lamentations 3. I've quoted this many, many times. <clears throat> It says in verse 23, God's mercies, His compassions, they fail not, they're new every morning, and great is thy faithfulness. We are not depending on my faithfulness. You're not depending on your faithfulness. We are depending on His faithfulness, and He never fails. Now, I want to just divert to something here. I'll, I'll come back to these things here, but I'll, I just want to divert to this because Brother Bram talks about in his own in his own situation here, talking about his own life. Now, just, just bear with me. I won't be long here, but he says now, Believe in God, 1952, and he's talking about how we shouldn't be looking at circumstances, not circumstances. He said, don't consider that. But when Abraham was about 100 years old, and neither the deadness of Sarah's womb, he wasn't considering this the deadness of her womb or his age, she was, in, she was included in the promise. She was in, God never gave Sarah the promise. He gave Abraham the promise, but Sarah was included. You catch what he's saying here? So if Abraham had become consumed with the circumstances, his faith probably never would have risen to the place it needed to be. But what made Abraham successful in the faith, if I could say it that way, is that he's disregarding circumstances, disregarding the historic pathology of Sarah's body. It has never been able to produce a child. But he's not worried about that because he's got a word from a higher power. And so he's not considering the deadness of Sarah's womb. Because Abraham knows that when God gave Abraham the promise, Sarah was included in that promise. Wow. And he made the promise in Christ and I was included in him. You were too. I'm glad he said that. So I'm setting a scene now for a situation that he has. When God made the promise in Christ and I was included in that, whatever pertained to him would also then pertain to me. I mean, I don't know how far you're willing to go with this, but Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. So let me tell you, something can destroy your physical body, but you're not dead at all, right? You've got continuance of life, just like Jesus could go to the cross with confidence that he was not going to remain there or remain in some borrowed tomb, but he was destined to to rise from the dead and live again. Live forever because he knew that he was the resurrection and the life. Now, isn't it true? Isn't it true that he said all God was, he poured into Christ, and all that was in Christ was poured into the? Right? All right, let's go now just one step, for, two steps now. Here's the first one. There he is, he said, with the seven stars in his right hand. He's saying the same thing now to the church age book. And the right hand or arm signifies the power and the authority of God. And that means that God sent out these stars that were in his hand. Psalm 44 speaks of it. And he says those stars, according to Revelation 120, are the seven church-age messengers. And that signifies or that means that the very power and authority of God are behind the messengers to every age. So John Wesley or Martin Luther, they came to us because God sent them to us. And God sent them with a message to the elect of that day. Justification or sanctification or the faith of the uh, saints in the dark ages. Those messengers didn't just show up and they didn't just figure it out. They were sent to us. God actually released them into the earth because there was elect in there that needed something from God. And this was the channel God was going to use to give it to them. Are you following me? So this message never came to us because Brother Branham had a real gift or a real insight into the Bible. Let me tell you, he was going to go out and preach wrong things until the angel came and corrected him and told him what to preach because this message, I believe, was also in the hand of God and sent to the earth for you and I. And the, and, the, and the people that came before us. But I, I, believe it's, I believe it's for us because I believe when this message over time becomes, uh, becomes ripened and the people who believe it become mature enough, it's actually going to change their bodies. Right? That's the goal, folks. That's the goal. But in the last sentence, he says, this signifies that the very power and authority of God are behind his messengers to every age. And they go forth in the fire and power of the Holy Ghost with the word. The very power and authority of God are behind his messengers to every age. I'll give you a little inside information. That's why I still quote it. He says again, he raised me up with him in the resurrection and now we are seated with him with power and authority over every devil. Oh, if you could only believe what God has given we could only believe what God has given and now we're seated with him with power and authority wow Lord may our Lord number one may we come with a humble heart a teachable heart but number two may we realize that you're placing within us power and authority so that the devil can't beat us around like he would like to One step further. Sorry. Technology. The control tower that's in you is what directs you. Now, <clears throat> let's let's just refresh here real quick. If you got a guy in the control tower, he's in the control tower, right? He's sitting there. He's got his Chick-fil-A. He's got his headphones on. He's directing planes to where they need to go. What makes this a good thing is that you've got something with you in the plane that connects you to this guy who's at the controls. It's great that he's there, but he's going to be of no value to you unless you can hear what he says. (laughs) Take runway two, runway two, buddy. He's not in the window going like this. You've got to be able to hear from this guy, runway two, right? That's, that's the important thing, is this link between the plane and the control tower. So, Brother i saying there's a control tower in the body that tells, tells you the need that's needed in your body and it's brought to you by thirst. That's a natural one. There's an intelligence, in other words. And there's a control tower in your soul that tells you spiritual things that you have need of, something in your spirit, and by this you can tell what kind of life is controlling you. So in other words, if you're trying to apply for a job, that's going to keep you out of church because you know what? I really need the money. And that's really what I want to do. Houston, we have a problem. Speaking of control towers. So Romans 7, Brother Branham says, this is all the same quote here, when I would go to do good, evil is nigh. Did you ever have that experience, Christians, when you're trying to do something that's worthwhile and make an effort to do something that's good and find out there is a devil on every hand just trying to upset you? Anybody relate to that? That's one good thing I'd like to say that Christians might know. When you're starting to do something and there's something always trying to upset you in doing it, do it anyhow. That's the devil there, trying to keep you from doing what's right. That's his job. But that doesn't mean you have to listen to him. It just means that he's there to upset you. And it makes life difficult because he can't, he can't rob eternal life from you. He can't take that from you. And he can't stop you. You know, God's going to fulfill his purpose in your life and so forth. But he's, he's there trying to upset you in doing the right thing. And that's the battle we face right now. So I just read you the statements where Brother Bram says all the authority and power and so forth is in us because it was in Christ and all Christ was he poured into the church, right? We got that? Yeah. But now here's Brother Bram saying, hey, anybody, anybody else here feel this way? That when you're trying to do something that's worthwhile and you go make an effort to do something that's good, you find out there's the devil. He's right there to upset you. Anybody? In other words, he's saying, am I the only one who feels this way? Am I the only one? No. Because then you're thinking, well, should I, should I do it or not? Right? It might be clearly in the Bible and clearly what God's laid on your heart to do, but all of a sudden you're standing there saying, should I do it? Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe, maybe I'll wait a week. Maybe I'll wait a week. Or maybe I'll put a fleece out. <clears throat> last, the last quote. Now the quote is 35 screens long, but it's the last quote. Here's Brother Branham. He said, now, he had a bunch of children, Job, and they were worldly going out there mingling with the things of the world, and all of we parents know what a feeling that is when your children, your very heart, begin to mingle with the world and get out there among unbelievers. But in our city, he said, we don't have a Christian school. There's a bunch of worldly children, girls and boys too, And, and I thought of sending my boy to that school knowing that everything that I drilled into him, unless he becomes really converted, Really comes to Christ, that all of his nature would be changed. He'd be swept out from under my hands as soon as he gets with this worldly bunch. So you know what? Here's a parent, right? Brother Bram speaking as a parent. And he knows enough to know that without a real experience that his son has to have, the powers that would sweep him away into darkness are far stronger than Billy Paul. And Brother Branham himself knows that even if I pray for him and claim him, there are powers out there that would like to sweep him out from under my hands. Because every parent holds on to their kids and holds on to their kids' heart as long as they possibly can. And in Job's case, he's praying and offering sacrifices even when they're gone, even when they're out of the house. But he's still praying for them and still, uh, you know, offering sacrifices on their behalf because they're mingling and mixing out there. And Brother Bram says, the only remedy for them, the only remedy, is that he has a real experience with God. Having a minister, a father, a religious home, or we don't approve any of the worldly things in our home, we try to act like Christians ought to live. We try to live like Christians ought to live. I know if he was lost, he'd certainly walk over a righteous home, be lost by it. He had to walk over the Bible, he'd had to walk over the blood of Christ, because I'll certainly, by God's grace, present it in front of him. That's what applying the token means, is that in our house, you know, we, we, we have the Bible. It's not just something we leave in our pew and come back and get in church on Sunday. But we, we live by the Word of God. And we have, it, we have these things applied in our home here, righteous home. And if he's going to leave, he's going to have to walk over that. But if his nature's not changed, he'll go right on just the same. And he said, I think of the day that Billy entered high school. And how I thought, oh, my. He'd been baptized, certainly, but he'd never made a full surrender and a consecration to Christ. And knowing that nature of a child was yet in him, how my heart yearned for him and how I'd pray, go out in my car and ride around and say, God, don't let my boy get wrapped up in that kind of stuff out there. Now, you understand what it, what what he's telling us here in in there are some things that, that God commissions us to do, and we just take our sword and we go out there. But there's other things in life we face. that you know what? We just got bring to bring to God, and bring to God in faith, and just say, Lord, I'm laying this need before you here. And I'm coming to you, not with my mind made up, but Lord, I'm coming with a teachable heart. And I want you just to show me, Lord. I want you to guide me and direct me here. Because... The world is just too strong for my kids. The world is just too powerful for my kids. And I, I, I'm going to need help here in navigating through this season of life that I've got with teenagers. And they're, they're, they're going through different things because of the influences that are out there. And he's out in the car by himself riding around and saying, God, don't let my boy get wrapped up in that stuff. And I said, God, I hope and I pray his mother's dead, and I've been both daddy and mother to him, so please don't let him get wrapped up out there and get in all that trouble some way. Will you just protect him? Will you say, all power and authority is given given to us? All all that Christ was, he poured into the church. But you know what? God, uh, to me... God allows life to happen to every one of us because he knows he knows there are some situations that you'll never be able to fix. You'll never be able to change. If we could convert our kids and convert our grandkids, we would, right? If we could get out of here and change our bodies, we would. For most of us if we could lose 10 pounds, we would. We would do any of those things, we could. But there's some things that are, that are not exactly within our power. And so we're dependent on God. We're dependent on Him to help us. And there are situations that God seems to, to, to allow to exist in our life that we need to keep coming back to Him and coming back to Him. But here's what I'm telling you this, this evening. That Brother Branham's appealing to God and praying to God and worshiping God even in this valley that he's in. It's it's not the glorious meeting where all these great things are happening and lightning is in the building and, and, and miracles are taking place. Now he's out in a car by himself and he's just wanting to be alone with God and put his hands in the air and say, Lord, now I hope and I pray, Lord, you would give me wisdom and deal with his heart. And let me say something that's right. And just don't let me come down too hard. Don't let me come down too soft. Just let me, let me just balance it out right, Lord, because whatever I say, every word now is going to matter here. And I'm just depending on you. You know what he's doing, though? He's worshiping God because he has no one else to turn to. And he's not looking to anybody else. He's just looking to God. And that's what worship is. It's a response to the presence of God. It's not always a joyous and a run around the church and, you know, a jumping and a hollering. It's not always that. It's your time alone with God and a heart that's moved by the presence of God. And God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. No matter where you are in the spectrum, whether you're up on the mountains in Norway or whether you're down in the valley, where all the growth takes place, either, you know what, no matter where you are, and when you're in between, because some people are going through here, some people are going through some real valley experiences, and other people are going through some real mountaintop things, and we're facing things that are difficult, and all the rest of it, and I was talking to somebody today, and saying, you know, no matter, uh, uh, they said things are not like they were, now you can make the same amount of money, you can even increase it a bit, and it's harder to live, And it's just all of a sudden, we never voted for this, but all of a sudden now it just becomes more difficult to survive in a world that we used to be able to survive. In other words, we had it figured out. Now we don't have it figured out. we got to adjust. And in this world, there won't be any peace or consistency like there will be in God's kingdom. In this life, in this life, our best resource, our best resource it's like we read in our text there when David saw the ark come into its place and it rested there in that tent. Everybody's response was, thank the Lord, he's with us. Thank the Lord that we can go down and we can look and see the tabernacle that's right here with us. And the beautiful thing was that the word was right there in the midst of them. It was right in the middle of them. And I think spiritually, we ought to thank God no less Because the word of God has come to us. It has come to us in this last day. God's opened the book and give us a revelation that none can deny. And you know what? We may have Philistines all around us and we may have enemies all around us. You might have marriage trouble or differences and you might have stress in your life and everything else. But you know what? There's a greater thing that's going on. That's the word that's right in the midst of us. And his presence is right in the midst of us. And God doesn't want you to lose sight of that. Let's stand on our feet. Lord, we're depending on you. Because that's what worship is. It is a right response to the revelation of who God is. It brings God it brings God honor from your heart, from your mind. From your soul, from your body. That's all worship is. It's a bowing down to him. It's a realizing that you know what? He's in control. He's greater than I am. And if even if I don't understand his ways, his ways are higher than my ways. They're better. And Lord, I want to follow your ways. Let's sing. We're coming back to the heart of worship. Let's sing that. Mitchell, help us. Help us sing it here. Turn, crank them up, there, sister. <clears throat> when the
2: music fades, all, all is away,
0: and I simply come.
2: Long and just.
3: It's one thing, Lord, for us to gather together and to speak about the Bible, but it's another thing, Lord, when you, the author, come and you quicken the word to us and give us understanding of things, Lord, that have been hidden through the ages. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for understanding. And may we always, may in this assembly, may we strive to make it our goal that we would have a teachable heart, a heart that longs for truth, a heart that loves truth. Lord, whenever truth is ministered, may we be transformed to fulfill your will as you make it known. We're depending on you, Lord, not only to understand, but we're depending on you to help us to walk that truth. And so, Lord, minister to every heart, those that are gathered here today, Lord, and we pray that you would just bless each one, Lord, through the balance of their week, and, Father, guide them in your perfect will. Give them not only your peace, but, Lord, give them your protection as well. Father, for our families, the ones who are listening tonight, those who are away, as many of them, Lord, I just place them into your hands now. Be the healer they need. Be the comforter they need. And, Lord, be the Peace that they need tonight. We commit our hearts into your care now. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Brother Michael, next time we'll get a special out of you. Next time you come. All right? Good to have you tonight. God bless you, good to have all of you here tonight We're going to let you go we need a couple of helpers After church We need that row After church yeah. God bless you And uh, we look forward to seeing you on Saturday night If you're here for the young people And then Sunday with Brother Trevor So we'll sing this as we go <clears throat> um, Lead me Lord and I'll follow Let's say same key man Lead me, Lord.